Hey, this is Tim McGregor, and I'm the pastor of LOH Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. A heaven-sent jailbreak for a man of God who hell had to stop. Simon Peter had keys in his hands, so to speak. Keys to bind the strategies of darkness from holding grips on people. Blocking cities from heaven's light and deceiving nations. Peter had keys of power to set people free through the story about Jesus of Nazareth. Opening cities up to the message of Christ and changing countries. He was commissioned, as were the other 11, as we are, believers, by Jesus himself, to the end of the age, this commission from Jesus to go, take the keys of the kingdom of God and go. A man like Peter is dangerous to the principalities and powers And people like you are dangerous as well. So, Peter had to be captured. Peter had to be neutralized. Peter had to be put down. And so the devil plotted. And he was arrested. But God stirred up a prayer meeting and a rallying place of his people. And he created an anointing that became a breakthrough so that Peter could be about the purpose of God for his life. A jailbreak took place. And we're going to see in the story that an iron gate to the city was opened by an invisible hand. And Peter walked through it. God wants to break some things in our lives once and for all and open gates that cannot be opened but by his powerful hand. But then we have to walk through it. So let's look deeply into this passage and then I want to speak personally to you from this passage and from something God put on my heart a month ago because I really believe that God wants to speak to some people personally today because this will be the day that many chains will break. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you have said by the prophet Isaiah that we are to say to the bound, go free, that you have given us power to say to those in darkness, come out and show yourselves. You promised to feed us along the roads back from captivity to the promised land. You said you would pasture us even on the barren heights and we wouldn't hunger or thirst and the scorching heat would not strike us down. You promised, Lord, and we stand in that promise that you would release compassion on us as you lead us and guide us to springs of living water, that you would make mountains a road and highways would be raised up, that you would call your people from the north and the south and the east and from the west, that you asked us if the prey could be taken even from the tyrant. And then you answer the question you ask, yes, indeed. 
And we pray today that this would be a day that you contend with the one who contends with us. And you would save your sons and your daughters. And we would be able to know that you're the Lord. You're the Savior and Redeemer of your people. Because of the cross, because of the blood, and because of the glorious name of your son, Jesus, we believe it so and say the amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's read this passage together in Acts chapter 12. Starting at the beginning, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church to do them harm. I love hearing those pages rattle. That's cool. What am I, in 1970? What is it? And he had James, the brother of John, executed with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he also proceeded to arrest Peter. And then Luke, as he always does, gives us more information than we're even maybe looking for. He tells us when. This was during the days of unleavened bread. Let's go on. When he had arrested, he put him in prison, turning him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending only after the Passover to bring him before the people. So Peter was kept in prison but prayer for him was being made to God intensely by the church. If you have a marker for your Bible, mark that passage. But prayer was being made to God intensely by the church. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, I always love when the, the Bible says behold. It's like God's ready to do something. And behold, da-da, here it comes. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood near Peter, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Put on your belt and strap on your sandals. And he did so. And they said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And I like this part. And yet he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. But thought he saw a vision. I believe there are some things God wants to do in people's lives that, you, that are so powerful that you go, is this real? Now, when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city. Where does it lead? Into the city, which opened for them by itself. The word opened is the word automaton. It's where we get the automaton. It's like when you go into a store and the door just opens, you didn't do anything. Imagine it. Imagine it. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John. By the way, this is also the place where Jesus had the last supper. Mary was probably well off. This was a big house. She's the mother of John who is also called John Mark, who would write the Gospel of Mark and spend many days of his life with Peter. Just throwing that in there. 
where many were gathered together. And what were they doing there? They were praying. What were they praying? They were praying intentionally, intensely that God would set Peter free. And so when Peter knocks at the gate's door, a slave woman, don't get hung up on that. The word is pediske. It means maid. Okay? So don't get hung up on that. A slave woman named Rhoda came to answer. This is, this is kind of funny. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the entrance. She left him there. You know, like kind of like you, play, you pray and believing, and then, but then it actually works, and you're like, wait a minute. This is weird. Prayer doesn't usually work. I mean, you, she left him there. And they said to her, she said, Peter's out there. And they said, like every good Bible-believing, faith-filled prayer warrior would do, you're out of your mind. <laughs> but she kept insisting that it was so. They said, it's his angel. We'll come back to that. But Peter, cont but Peter continued knocking. I find that funny. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and then... Luke uses his favorite word from the gospel in the Acts, and they were amazed. Luke's gospel is about amazement, and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described how the Lord had led him out of prison, and he said, report these things to James and the brothers, and then he left and went to another place. When the day came, there was no small disturbance about, among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. And when Herod searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and, listen, ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now, before we dive deep into this passage, you know, sometimes people preach or they'll give you the passage and then they never see it again. Off into another direction. We're going to go deep in this passage. But before we do, I want to say a couple things about our church. If you're here for the first time, you're watching for the first time, or you're new here and you're not, you haven't been here very long, I want to tell you some things about our church. And if you knew me a little better, you'd know in the context of what I'm going to say when I make these first four words over and over. We make no apologies. Let me tell you what we make no apologies for at LOH. We make no apologies for our passion toward the ministry and power and belief in the reality of the Holy Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, we, 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 we make no apologies for the fact that we actually believe that Jesus still saves, that he still heals, and that he still delivers, that he still baptizes with the power of the Holy Spirit and fire, and that the church today and the church that will be in the last days should be glorious and can be glorious. It can be as glorious as the first day's church. And we're committed to that. And we make no apologies for it. We make no apologies for believing that our sons and daughters will be filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesy even to the nations. We make no apologies for that. We make no apologies for believing that God still does signs and wonders and miracles and releases gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. We make no apologies for that. 
And we make no apologies that we still believe that it requires the blood of Jesus to forgive sin, but the blood of Jesus does forgive and cleanses from sin. We make no apology for that. We believe the cross of Christ still breaks the power of sin and destroys the devil's dominion. Is it okay if we believe that at LOH Church? Okay? We make no apologies for believing that the power of the Holy Spirit should be expected and welcomed in the gatherings to drive out demons, to heal depressed souls, to lift up the brokenhearted and set prisoners free in Jesus' name for the praise of his glory and no man. Can anybody say hallelujah? Praise the name of Jesus. We make no apologies for what might take place in this room today. Whether it's acceptable to you or not, or to me, regardless if it's not quiet, cute, and cozy, or comfortable. We want nothing more than what the New Testament manifests and nothing less. We believe that we are in a time of spiritual warfare that's intense. And you have to fight fire with fire. We have to outpower the powers of darkness. And so we believe that greater is he that's in this church than he that's in the world. Now if you'd let, quit interrupting me, I'll get into this passage. I want to survey this chapter 12 of Acts and say, first of all, we're looking at a certain time period in Acts. Let me tell you what's going on here in the general context. Peter just came from a powerful ministry experience, a paradigm shift beyond definition, where God opened his eyes that God was going to take his hand and open doors to the whole world, not just a Jerusalem cocoon, a Judean view of how God defines the people of God. And Peter literally crosses over a threshold into a house of a Roman soldier, which in that day, the Pharisaical teaching would call that not biblical. And even though Peter said he had a vision, they would say, well, if your vision doesn't line up with the word of God, then, well, the God that gave the Old Testament gave him the vision as well. And he opened the world up to Peter. He goes into this house and finds there are more hungry Gentiles than any Jews that he's come across. And the Roman centurion and his family and friends have all gathered together and they actually are wanting to believe. Every pastor's dream. And, after, and he's not even finished the message, and God moves in the room. And the way he knows God moves in the room, because the same thing happens to them that happened in the upper room to the 120 Jews that were up in that room. They saw them get filled with the Spirit as they spoke in another language and glorified God. And that blew their minds because they weren't even water baptized yet. 
The, sinner, the, the altar call hadn't even been given. They didn't pray the sinner's prayer and oceans wasn't being played. I mean, God just went ahead of it all. God went ahead of it all. And what is Luke showing in the whole book of Acts? He's showing Jesus act two through people doing the ministry of Jesus that he didn't act one. And there's no ending chapter to Acts. And that's intentional because it was never supposed to end. I said, it was never supposed to end. God is opening up the whole world to the message of Jesus and the world is being opened by Kephas, the rock, and his brothers who came out of that upper room. And now Peter's rock of faith is not only rippling across the waters of Galilee, but the entire Mediterranean. That's what's going on when we're coming to this moment by Herod. And not only this, Saul of Tarsus has been transformed by the power of Jesus and Paul the apostle is growing in an embryonic form to bring an inferno of revelation to synagogues all over Asia Minor with an undeterred passion to go and preach the gospel in the Roman Empire itself. And Satan is threatened and he has to act. So he stirs up one of his puppets, Herod Agrippa. And he has James arrested and killed. And the Jews like that. And so he thinks, let's keep rolling. So he has Peter arrested, awaiting execution. If you read this, immediately you, you come up with mental roadblocks. Uh, and, 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 and a lot of times as preachers, we have to cover roadblocks that actually are triggered by what you read and what happens. And the, the first roadblock for me and maybe for you is, why James? When you think about who James was, I don't understand this in my mind. James is John's brother. Do you know who they were? They were the, they were the inner circle with Jesus. When he goes into Jairus' house to raise that girl, it's Peter, James, and John. When they go up on the mountain, the other nine weren't allowed to go. And James and Peter and John see Jesus transfigured before their eyes. And the, and the Shekinah glory of God comes down. I mean, if there's ever a guy that knows it all, it's James. James was in the upper room and filled with the fire and power of the Holy Spirit. And James is executed. And Luke says, and Herod had James executed by the sword. And then there's no explanation. And it's just like, it's just like, and he ate a sandwich and on we go. And you go, oh, wait a second, whoa, Luke, slow down. I thought God was in control. Here's the answer. Yes, God is in control. And in all of the things that happen in the kingdom of God, here's what we always have to know. There is God, and then there is us. There's the way God thinks, and then there's the way even the greatest, most discerning believer thinks, and God will even blow your mind. And when God allows something to happen, he has truly already figured out why and what, and what it's going to mean. And he doesn't always explain it to us. And we get in trouble when we try to explain and stand and give a press conference to defend God. God doesn't need our defense. 
Have you ever seen anybody give a press conference before and they make it worse? I'm, all, I'm not going to mention any. I'm not going to mention. I'm not going to. I'm not going to mention any, anything on that. You go back. I don't care how many years you want to go back. What we do know, what we've always known, is that life's a vapor. In the eyes of eternity, it's like your tea kettle. and the steam comes out, that's how long all our lives are. And Jesus told them on the Mount of Olives that some of them would be killed for preaching the gospel. James is killed perhaps only months before the great young Bible guy that knew the, the, the gospel was going to the Gentiles before Paul did, Stephen. If there's ever a guy that could have taken the world and God let him get killed. And he doesn't explain it. But when Stephen is killed, there's a young man named Saul who watches it happen and something begins to happen in Saul. Something. There's a great commentator that says the death of James shatters the illusion that somehow the 12 enjoyed a unique divine protection. We are divinely protected in the fixed time allotment of our lifespan in God that only he knows. We're not exempt from hardship. But there's something God can do, even in things that are that inexplicable, that can make you think, I'm out. Eusebius, who wrote uh, church history in his second volume in, uh, in, the, in the second century, quotes Clement of Alexandria, who was connected to Polycarp, who was a disciple of John. Clement of Alexandria says that the soldier, now this is in Eusebius' work, you know, it's not inspired, but this, I'm just telling you what, what they thought in the first couple centuries. Clement of Alexandria said that the soldier guarding James before the judge was so moved by the witness of James that he, on the spot, declared himself a Christian and was willing to be executed alongside James for the glory of Jesus. So God was working. When I, when I read this and I see that these guys were willing to die for the cause, I, I ask myself this as a pastor. I ask myself this to my colleague friends. Are we raising a generation in which comfort is a higher priority than the Great Commission at all costs? I'm asking that question. It's bothering me and troubling me. Uh, about my own life and my own leadership and our church and any church and, and the future. This message is dedicated to my grandchildren and yours. Comfort instead of go into all the world, make disciples, I'll be with you to the very end of the age, and oh, by the way, you might not come back alive. We're supposed to die at the first moment we receive Christ. Anyway. And those who live their life on the cross are the most dangerous to the devil because people like that aren't even afraid of death. Are we overly protecting our people? Have we created a false reality of a utopian hope about our life that it's always just about God protecting us from bad stuff? Well, God wants to send some of us out into the bad stuff and not promise you to come back. 
I know, weird, right? When have you heard that? You haven't even heard it from me and it's bothering me. But the reality is we're in a war. The reality is that this thing is truly eternal. And there are consequences that will be worse than just something that takes place in this life forever. There, there is, there's the steam kettle span of this life and then there is forever. And there's only two places you can spend forever. Our gospel paradigm, our mind shape, has to be reshaped by the context of Jesus and the apostles. Because right now in pulpits in America, there are pillow preachers creating a false purpose statement about it being about us. With a comfort paradigm, as evil workers push harder and harder with increased passion to take over high ground. And rather than raising up warriors on a mission, even willing to give their life for the cause, we have to struggle when we call for financial commitments. Where we need levels of the whole church rather than a few, proving the belief of their passion for the Great Commission beyond the singing and the clapping and the hand raising, that it shows up in the giving as well across denominational lines in the Western Church of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen, because that's true. In this passage, Peter is deemed so dangerous. And I think about, am I that dangerous? Peter is so dangerous that Herod assigns four squads of soldiers to guard him. The word squads in the Greek is the word tetridion. It's from the root word tetris, meaning four, and it says that there is a quatradion, meaning there are four groups of four soldiers around the clock making sure Peter doesn't escape. John Stott, uh, the late great uh, British pastor that Queen Elizabeth loved to hear preach, said that normally it was considered enough for a prisoner to be handcuffed to one soldier, but as a special precaution, Peter had a soldier each side of him, both wrists manacled, and four soldiers guarding Peter on, on a, a round-the-clock watch. Seneca, who wrote in the epistle of Seneca, who was an, a Roman historian, said that extraordinary precautions were also taken by chaining him to two soldiers instead of one. Usually, one soldier was enough. Satan wanted to take him out. But God's people went to pray. Now, what are we doing right now? I'm not preaching directly to you. I'm, I'm bringing this passage. I'm bringing the meaning of this passage out. I want you to see something else. Uh, it says, so Peter was kept in the prison, but, per in the but prayer for him was being made to God intensely. The word is ectenos. It's, it's where we get our word for tendon or ligament. Ek means out. So the church, when they heard about Simon and the assassination plot, they didn't just pray. Their prayer, the word is ectenos. 
It means to stretch to the limits, the tendons of your faith, to reach God's throne. Something else that bothers me. And you can have a rule about it, you can call for it, whatever. But it's not about rules. It's about a revelation. The cries for prayer gatherings are deaf. The cries for prayer gatherings to stop the influence of the demonic are so rare in the church world that you'd think there's no threat to our kids, there's no threat to our families, there's no threat to our country, there's no threat to the West, there's no threat to the influence of the gospel, right? Who threatens hell to such a degree that they are bullseyed in for an assassination plot by the devil himself? There are. Do you know that as I preach right now, there are young men and young women, just like Peter, who are facing intense persecution in Iran, in China, in Russia, in Arab countries, in African countries, right now. And there are Christian people praying like the Christian church that prayed ektenos. The word ektenos is the same word Luke uses in his gospel to describe the kind of prayer Jesus prayed in the garden when the weight of the world was coming on him and he had to decide whether he'd drink the cup of his father. The same word where it talks about agonizing when he sweat drops of blood is the word ektenos. If the church was filled with passionate sacrificial givers and Actenos prayer warriors, we wouldn't even know ourselves anymore. The real question is, where does the money go? That's not the real question. The real question is, where does your money go? gospel are there teenage kids that are have a passion to find a career and start a corporation so they can fund the great commission across the globe imagine praying prayers that stretch from here to the throne of God where we say Lord I want to pray about the things you care about Lord I want to pray for the people you want me to care more about I want you to share the measure of your compassion with me so I can share that compassion with others. Stretch me out, Lord. And you look over this passage and you see these beings called angels. I was looking at that. You know, the Bible clearly speaks that angels exist in numbers beyond count. And the Bible says that the angels are spirits. You can't see them, although they can manifest. And it says that we should be hospitable to people because some have encountered angels unaware. Isn't that wild? Wouldn't it be great when you get to heaven someday and the Lord says, let me show you, let me show you some moments and you'd be like, what? 
But the Bible says that angels have been sent here. They're here to aid those who will inherit salvation in its fullness someday. So aid? Are we all into that? I wonder, do we have a religious belief that matches an atheist level belief when it comes to believing in angels? I mean, if you ask somebody, do you believe in angels? Oh, yeah, biblically speaking, I have angels, yes. The Greek word for angels is angelos. And, uh, and you got all that down, I got all that. Oh, yes, we have Well, how about this? How about at the beginning of service, we ask the Lord to dispatch our angels? Oh, no, 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 I'm not crazy. I'm not, I'm not going down that crazy train road. Bop, bop, bop. I want to do things decently in order here. What does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean man's control? The angel was sent from the prayer group. They were so fixated on angels was when Peter showed up, they said, that's, not, that's his angel. Right? Like we all think. We're expecting to see him, right? Do you know I've had times in, tw- in the 6,000 years I've been here that, li- li- and it's always been, and this four times, I think of four times, where, where a parent would tell me after church that their kid, and it was because of me, that their kid saw a strong, tall man standing next to me when I preached. I've heard that, I've heard that four times in, 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 in segments of years of five, 10 year differences. And little kids said it. Mommy, who was that man standing near? And one person, when I was giving, uh, when we, had, we did our communion one time and had a table here, and I was passing out the emblems, one, I, forget, I can't even remember the parent, but they said the little kids, so there was two, and whenever I would go like that, the angels would put their wings up. Like that, right? Do, 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 right? I mean, I mean, and I'll tell you this. Every time that someone's got that word to me, every time, God's listening every word I say, I'm not lying to you. I was very discouraged in ministry every single time. One time I was riding back from a Jesus rock festival in Orlando as a junior in college with two of my buddies and it went real long, and uh, the guy from Kansas just started a Christian band, Kerry Livgren, and uh, we wanted to see him. So we waited, and we long, we got back. I'm driving back from Orlando to Lakeland, and I fall asleep at the wheel. I didn't know I was falling asleep at the wheel. And I dream that there's a man standing on the side of the highway going like this. And I, and I go, is this real or is this a vision? No, I didn't. Uh, and I woke up and our car was going down into a thing and so I get back on the road and my two buddies wake up like uh, the guys from trains, planes and automobiles oh, what's going on what's nothing nothing man nothing I, praise God hallelujah it was one of those I don't know if that was an angel or not but hey The angel and Peter, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front. And behold, an angel. See, the devil can really come for you. 
And an, but an angel suddenly stood near Peter. And I don't know what, what triggered it. I don't know if the prayers triggered it or, if, or God wanted it. I don't know how the sovereignty and man working and all that. And people can get so paralyzed and analyzed in that and they never go about walking it out. Let's forget about how it works. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. And then we don't have to go write a book on angels or you know, give a video on angels and charge $19.99 for people to watch all that stuff or start a denomination on angels. Or, we don't have to do any of that. Just do the work. Let God do his work. We do our work. Anybody getting anything out of this? Raise your hand. It makes me feel even better. Oh, okay, good. Thanks. And the angel says to him, put your belt on, strap on your sandals, and he does it. And he says to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he does it and he goes out. And some of us believe all that in the Bible. But God wants to take Bibleville and let us know that Bibleville is realville. And they go and they pass the, the two guards and they come to the iron gate and it opens by itself. See, the iron gate represents the blocking of Peter's future into the city and the cities. From Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, to all the Mediterranean hearing the message. And the devil, if he can't stop you, he wants to hinder you. But I want to start now talking to us because heaven wants us all free. Not just positionally free, but experientially free. And you may be under attack of darkness that is intense. You're not in a real prison like Peter, but there has been an advancement almost to the point or possibly so that you're captured by a plot of hell. Peter writes to believers in one of his last letters and admonishes the committed, don't be paranoid about the devil, but be sober. God wants you to know there is an evil plot for the collective but there is a bullseye on people who are willing to do whatever God says. But he sent me here this morning to tell you that that plot ends today. I had a God moment four weeks ago and some of you here today, this will be the last day of your bondage because God has appointed this day on his heavenly calendar for your jailbreak. I had this message, I shared what God put in my heart with some real trusted intercessors. This was a month ago and the Lord told me not to preach it and wait for the eve of Rosh Hashanah. That's today. Tonight at sunset, 
in Jerusalem, the priest will blow the shofar. It's something they've done for thousands of years since, since the book of Exodus and Leviticus. These fixed times of the feasts of the Lord, which I don't have time to go into, are all prophetic of meaning in Christ. You find the substance, not the shadow. And, and the trumpet represents freedom and atonement and jubilee for the believer in Christ, but also a reminder that he's going to put an end to this thing at the blasting of a trumpet. And the Lord told me to wait for this day, prophetically timed in the spirit. The Father has fixed by his own authority this moment for you, whoever you are, to break that thing off your life. For a year, he's been preparing me for this time of life and ministry for me to pivot as a pastor, as a preacher, as a minister in the spirit toward you, toward others, toward new opportunities. And he's, and he, and he, and he, and he's going to send to our, I'm just going to tell you, he's going to send to our church the ministry of the sevenfold streams of the Holy Spirit that Isaiah describes in the 11th chapter and in the 61st chapter. It's the ministry of Jesus. They're streams of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to bring them into our church. And part of the things that happen to us, if he can't prevent it, he tries to pervert it. But he is calling you out of your chains, out of your prisons. I'm going to name a few of them in a minute. And there are angelic interventions that you won't see with your eyes, but you'll know. Because you have angels. I have angels. Do you have chapter and verse for that, Pastor Tim? I certainly do, and thank you for asking. <laughs> Jesus said it clearly when he was talking to the Pharisees who got offended because the kids were getting too close to Jesus and they weren't do it, doing it the way you're supposed to do it in church. And he said, hey, don't, make, don't, don't offend these little ones. Now listen, because they're angels always are beholding the face of my father. That means that you're, you're, when you get older, your angels don't leave. They don't go, oh, he's 16. See you later, hope you make it. That isn't how it works. That isn't how it works. Uh, Peter is probably in his 40s at this time, and they say, well, it was probably his angel. They were biblically correct. You and I have angels. Now, I don't go, hey, angel, where are you? Come on, angel, let's go. I mean, but you just know, that the, the Bible's working in our life whether we know it or not. But, but the point is this. The angels come and go in your life, yours, and, go, and where do they go? Like Gabriel said, I stand in the face of God. They don't go to an angel council meeting in heaven. They go right on the fiery stoned altar and look God Almighty right in the face. Your angel. Your angel mine. The churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, right. To the angel of the church of Thyatria, right. To the, right. Our angels have never left, and he's dispatched them, and they're ready. Listen, here's what angels are doing. They are standing by waiting for some believer to really believe. They are standing by waiting for believers. They do not move except when people believe the word God told them to believe. Then they move. 
If the Son of God has set you free, you are free indeed, positionally. But some of us aren't free experientially. And his passion today is that your experience matches your position. It was for freedom that Jesus freed us, and he wants us to stand firm and keep standing firm and never again be subjected to a yoke of any kind of bondage. The chains off of our life positionally were broken at the cross, but they are actualized by faith in moments fixed by God's own authority. When John the Baptist was born, his father, speaking by the Holy Spirit, said to John, what is a, what is a prototype of the believer, you will preach to his people the revelation of salvation, the cancellation of, your, of sins, and bring them back to God. The light of God's heaven's glorious sunrise will break upon us in holy visitation because of his mercy and his tenderness so that the word from heaven will come to us like dazzling light and shine on those in darkness near death's door. God wants to move the iron gate for every person in this room and break the chains off our lives. Now what are some of those chains? I asked the Lord, what, I mean, there are all kinds of chains. Please speak specifically, specifically to people in our church so they'll know you know and you care. And here they are. I'm going to read to you what I have. There are some of you who have been picked out to be bewitched under a legalistic yoke of Christianity, which is no Christianity at all. Your Christian life is like you're under the watchful eye, so to speak, of someone that you must answer to in order to do what God wants you to do. Your fear of God isn't the healthy kind, but it's deeply embedded in your subconscious. And so today, God wants to take the alabaster of his peace and break that thing so that the shalom of God and a childlike faith can be once again restored in your soul. When I'm sharing these, if this is you, just receive it. We're going to have a prayer in a minute. We're going to throw a fit in a minute. But just receive these things. He, sa he sends his word to heal us and deliver us from our afflictions. Psalm 119. Some of us, I'll tell you what, why don't our band come up? Mark, guys, come on up. We're going to go there in a minute. Some of us, man, God is, God is so good. God is so good right now. His heart for you is regarding your reoccurring failures and the guilt and shame that you wear like a coat that you can't take off and you're trapped in a mindset that you've lost your purity in body and you're chained to to this imagery and it's with you when you worship it's with you when you pray it's with you when you go to the word and it's an affliction it's a tormenting spirit 
And God wants to break that off you today and convince you that you're spiritually pure through and through, and he sees you as a virgin in his presence in the spirit. You need to receive that. You need to receive that. This one is Some of us live in a fear of surrendering our finances to God. Because the vulnerability of not being in control of that, God honest that nobody knows but you and God is terrifying. He doesn't judge you for it. He aches for you over it because you don't trust him. He doesn't need your money. He wants your trust. He doesn't need any money. But you need to trust him. And today, I'm just telling you. You know, Jesus did something like this and after church they took him to throw him over the hill in the home church. I'm faster than you. Not that way. No. There is an anointing to, listen. There is an anointing today where God will give you the power to know a freedom of release. Whatever, whatever, your, your, whatever your hold back is, the reasoning of it, all that, and this, this is this is this this is beeline into whoever, whosoever this is. And you need you need to know that he doesn't that that this is not about obedience. That's about honor. It's about honor. There's nothing in the Bible that says about obey him and giving. It's about honoring him and giving, honoring him. And the blessing that will be released upon your life and your household and your kids and your family and doors of iron gates that the, that the enemy has already declared will never open, never open, never open. Will open without you even touching the doorknob. Just swing wide. Based on your decision to let this anointing take you, get up, wake up, Put your coat on, put your shoes on, and come with me. I'm going to get you past the soldiers. I'm going to get you past the squad. I'm going to get you past the squad. And we're going to come to a point where the iron gate has been shut, and it's just going to swing wide open. But you've got to go with it. And one more. There is a fear of giving the Holy Spirit full control in his dynamic on some of our lives. Some of us have been through weird stuff. Some of us have heard teachings that create these things. And when things begin to happen, the first thing you do, whether it's outwardly, 
I remember I used to do this when we had pews and I was a teenager. Whenever it would get too close for comfort, I'd white knuckle the pews. Anybody else good at that? I used to do. But here's what the Lord wants to tell you about the Holy Spirit. For those who are fearful of losing control. His name is wonderful. Did you just feel the Holy Spirit just go? His, I did. But his name is wonderful. You want God to do something wonderful in your life? It's not by might. It's not with wise and persuasive words and man's plans. It's with the Spirit of God. You know what the evidence of the Holy Spirit having total control will be in your life? Peace. Joy. Freedom. Reaching other people. Breaking out of barriers. Out of cocoons. Beyond boundaries that anybody puts in front of your life. Faith growing and developing and multiplying in your life. Because you go with him, your kids will see the wonders of God in your life. Listen, they are the words from, from the deepest place of my heart in obedience to the Lord. To you. And now the Lord has you before an iron gate. I want everybody to stand. You're in the very presence of God right now. Today is a gift from God to tell you, to tell you, he wants to break those things, get up off the ground, shake yourself free and step through that iron gate and watch God open a world to you that you didn't even know existed. Is that enough? Let's move on it. One way you can move on it, yeah, you can be right there. But Lord, I pray for such a divine deliverance on people today in this place. Let God be true and me look like a fool. Such a divine deliverance that no one can resist it. But by faith would say, as for me, not me and my house, as for me. You say me and your house will follow, friend. That's a word. You say me. You're waiting on her, him, what? You say you. And God will let the house follow. You do it. In Jesus' name. Father, meet people like you met Cornelius. Meet people. Meet people around this altar, throughout this place, watching, listening. Lord, this is the day that you have made. And we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And what you're about to do will be marvelous in our eyes and wonderful. Have your way right here, right now, in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.